listening to National Hispanic Media Coalition's public affairs show, Pasadena and Beyond, on KHBGLP Radio 101.5, the station that gives the mic back to the people, your mic, your voice, your community. I am your host, Juliana Serrano. I reside and work in the great city of Pasadena, and I'm also the vice chair of the Pasadena Latino Coalition. On our show, Pasadena and Beyond, we will have topics such as education, culture, employment, social justice, health politics, the arts, and much, much more. Today, we have representatives from two organizations located right here in Pasadena. Welcome to our show, Sherry Bonner, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Pasadena and San Gabriel Valley, and also Melanie Goodyear, director of Jericho Road Pasadena. It's good to have you ladies here. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Awesome. So I thought we might begin today's show to talk a little bit about immigration and talk about DACA, which are two topics that have been in the news a lot recently, especially since our new presidential administration uh, took office. And I'm just curious to know from both Jericho Road and Planned Parenthood how the issue of immigration impacts your organization, how in particular the potential repeal of DACA and programs that support immigrants in our communities impact the communities that you serve? Well, um, Juliana, this is such an important topic for us, especially right now in this unsettledness that we find ourselves in terms of um, the federal government. Uh, Planned Parenthood is absolutely committed to providing quality preventive health care to people regardless of their immigration status or where they live or what language they speak. Um, We feel very strongly that folks who come into Planned Parenthood um, need to be protected. And so if they're at Planned Parenthood, um, we ensure that if people come in from um, the immigration uh, department that, uh, that they are not to talk to or take people who are in our waiting rooms. Um, you know, the only exception to that is if they have a very specific warrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we post signs in our, our waiting room that people are welcome, they should feel safe there, um, and that if people are there who um, we don't think are in the best interest of our patients, that we will ask them to leave. Mm, that's interesting. Do you have a, a, a formal policy to say, ICE, for example, is not welcome in our health centers. We do have a formal policy. Uh, we think it's so important, and we know that coming into a, a healthcare facility is very challenging for many people to begin with. And uh, it's important that people get the kind of care that we provide, their preventive care, whether it's birth control, whether it's access to STDs, um, very critical for them. And so to ensure that when they're in our organization, all of our staff are trained and understand what ICE can and can't do while they're in our facilities. Um, absolutely critical to to us and what we care about. We um, are a social justice organization as well as a healthcare provider. I know a lot of social justice related nonprofit organizations that provide services to the community, especially members of our community that are undocumented, have seen a recent decline in engagement and participation. 
Have you been seeing that in our own health care centers here in our community? As far as people coming into our health centers, um, we did a little while back after the election. Mm. And um, since then, um, we are back to our, our normal level of patient volume, which are all of our health centers are very busy. So um, at this time, what we hope is that people feel that Planned Parenthood that they've known for most of their lives, we've been, been around for 85 years, that we are to be trusted. We're mm-hmm. their partner. Right. Melanie, I'm curious how this impacts Jericho Road's work, if at all. Yeah, I don't know that it affects our work specifically, but I think one of my big concerns for the nonprofit sector is succession planning, that we're seeing this huge number of um, baby boomers retiring from executive director positions. Uh, my generation, Gen X, is a very small generation, so there simply are not enough of us to replace those folks. And just demographically, there aren't a lot of young white people. So we absolutely need this group, especially the DACA group, who are well-educated, bilingual, bicultural. Those are the leaders we need in the nonprofit sector as well as every other industry. So we certainly support not only um, not only the DACA youth, but really this idea of how do we cultivate these leaders for the next generation. And the reality of the demographics in California is young brown folks are going to be our leaders in 15 or 20 years. And so are we supporting them? Are we cultivating leadership? Are we encouraging them to and supporting them to get educated and become professionals? Because the reality is if we don't, we're going to have this huge group of white baby boomers who are retired who don't have medical professionals to take care of them and don't have anybody to replace them in professions. And I think particularly in the nonprofit sector, it's so important for us to cultivate leaders of color uh, because they may come from backgrounds that where they have access services or their families have access services. They understand what it's like to come to a new country and uh, need to access social services. So absolutely, we need to be supporting you know, young millennials, particularly of color, to become leaders, not only in the nonprofit sector, but really every sector of our economy in California. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking specifically about Pasadena. And we know that our Latino Hispanic population is probably around 35%, plus or minus probably a few percentage points. Um, And as I think about the nonprofit organizations that I work with in this community, Their leadership, including their board of directors, is probably not representative of that percentage. So I can, I could see that immediately as you speak to this issue that we have a lot of work to do. So I would love for you to share with me a little bit more about what specifically Jericho Road's mission and, and vision is for this work in our community. Absolutely. So Jericho Road Pasadena is a nonprofit capacity builder. So we help nonprofits look at their long-term needs for sustainability and success to execute their mission. And then we uh, provide pro bono consultants to help, whether it be in information technology, human resources, strategic planning, board development. And one of our big initiatives is to recruit people to be on boards who haven't necessarily thought about being on boards before. So, yeah, boards are overwhelmingly, in Pasadena and nationwide, overwhelmingly white and old um, and male. And so really finding, I I kind of joke that even if you can find a 65-year-old white man to be on a board, that actually increases board diversity, right? Because it's so overwhelmingly old. Um, And so I think especially looking at the reality that uh, maybe only a third of our population is Latino, but if you look at, at millennials, it's a much, much higher percentage. So again, how are we cultivating that group to become volunteers, to um, learn the leadership skills that they're going to get onto nonprofit boards, hopefully in the next few years. How do we get more millennials? Um, 
more people of color, more people who have taken advantage of the services that nonprofits offer, because they're going to be the ones to really give back to help guide that organization into the future. Um, and I think there are some really big misconceptions. Uh, I think because boards are white, there's a perception that you have to be sort of old, white, and rich to be on a board, which is not at all true. Um, and I think coming from a diversity of backgrounds, is what makes a board of directors rich and really helps the nonprofit understand what their mission is and look comprehensively at how to continue executing that mission into the future. But it is intimidating. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can speak to that personally as a young woman of color joining a board that, with all due respect, has been, I think, predominantly white and uh, maybe not male but certainly predominantly white and wealthy, it's a very intimidating environment to enter into as a person of color and a young person of color who may not have the biggest pocketbook, but definitely have skills to contribute. What does Jericho Road to sort of ease that transition in? Yeah. So we have a couple board development programs. One of them is called the Leadership Connection, which we offer annually, and it's nine hours of training. So people come to us and express interest in being on a board. They go through the class, and then we help match them with a nonprofit. It. So really, they get a very intensive training, which, quite frankly, almost no board members really get. Um, and so we really do support them through that. And the fact that we do a really hands-on matchmaking process means that we can take a person who maybe doesn't have the board experience or is daunted, and we would find an organization that we know is going to be open to what they have to contribute Uh and if it's needed to set up kind of a mentor relationship, we can help set that up too. So I think that the the very hands, of course, the training is really, really important. And I think that training helps people grow in leadership, not just for board service, but in all aspects of their lives. But then really that kind of hands-on placement is so important. Um, because we really give the nonprofit and the potential board member some time to get to know each other and make sure it's a good fit and really figure out, it, does this person have the right skill set and the other whatever other attributes they need um, for the board, but also what can the board prov provide for them? How can we create boards that are really accepting of new voices, different perspectives, that kind of thing? That's great. Mm -hmm. So Sherry, I would love for you to share a little bit about Planned Parenthood's mission and vision in our community. Mm -hmm. And I, I should preface and say that I have been a board member to Planned Parenthood Pasadena in San Gabriel Valley, which is really exciting. So Sherry and I do know each other well and have worked together in that board capacity. And I know it's it's a the, the needs that Melanie speaks to is an ongoing need for the organization Planned Parenthood at the national level and even for, for very local affiliates like ours. But I would love for you to talk more about the organization and, and what it does for the community of Pasadena. Yeah. Um, and uh, Juliana, thank you for being on our board. And um, you certainly have brought um, a great perspective and a sort of a wonderful worth work ethic that um, you've gotten a lot of people behind. So we're very appreciative. Um, so Planned Parenthood, uh, we operate in Pasadena in the San Gabriel Valley. We're in 24 cities. That's our service area. Um, we have uh, educational programs where we work with schools, also with um, monolingual Spanish-speaking moms. Um, we are in, uh, there's 16 different school districts, which is a lot. Um, we're probably in about half of those um, doing education around reproductive health, um, sexuality, anti-bullying, um, 
lots of different topics that relate to one's sort of sexual identity. And uh, that's one part of our mission, education and being in the community and ensuring that people have um, the education about their sexuality and their um, reproductive lives that is kind of hard to find in a school's curriculum. So we feel like we sort of um, fill that niche. And I think what most people know us for is our care in our health clinics. And we have four of those in Pasadena, Eagle Rock, Alhambra, and Glendora. And in those health centers, we see about 60,000 patient visits every year. So lots of folks coming in for things um, like uh, uh, STD, or as we call them, sexually transmitted infection tests, to birth control. Uh, we also do well woman exams and GYN tests. We do cancer screenings. We do breast exams. Um, we do abortion services. Uh, 95% of what we do is would be called preventive. I think that's a surprise to a lot of people. I think what, what plays in the media for Planned Parenthood is the fact that we provide abortion services. It is a small part of what we do, although very important. Um, but mostly what we're about is empowering people in our communities to, um, to live their best lives and in an area and a um, part of our health that um, is just often overlooked or swept under the rug. Uh, we've, we're just an important organization filling that space. And then just finally, I would add that um, we do advocacy in terms of um, ensuring there's legislation that opens access for people to our health centers, um, to comprehensive sex education, and that's an important part of, of who Planned Parenthood is. And we've been in the San Gabriel Valley for 85 years. Next year, it'll be our 85th anniversary, which we're really wow. thrilled about. Um, and uh, there's certainly, um, as something that, that people, there's some controversy about what we do. Uh, we're still here, and um, it's, it's just such an important role that we play that we know we're going to be here for another 85 years. Yeah. It's so interesting, right, this, this issue of the misconception. And I will say that I am one of the probably millions of Americans who had or have a misconception around Planned Parenthood, even in spite of the fact that it is this longstanding trusted organization. I mean, 85 years serving the San Gabriel Valley is no small thing. You think that everyone would know what the organization does on a day-to-day -day basis. But I know it wasn't until I actually entered in a health center that I learned intimately what Planned Parenthood does and how transformative it was. I mean, there is this thought that Planned Parenthood is, is just an abortion provider, that that's what's happening at the healthcare center, but all of these wonderful preventative things. Um, and especially I was uh, eager to learn about the education and outreach work, the, the work that our health educators do with young mothers, young monolingual mothers. I mean, can you share a little bit about that? that, that fascinating to me that we would have young, bright women going out and working with Spanish speakers only and teaching them sexual and reproductive health. I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly a very exciting part of who we are and what we do. And um, working with these moms, they typically have kids who are in um, preschool 
and they uh, drop their kids off. And then they, uh, in a group setting, um, our educator talks to them about their own sexuality or reproductive life. And, um, you know, what we find is that many of them are not familiar uh, with how their bodies work. And it's important for us to ensure that we're teaching them and they feel because then they feel good about who they are. And then they teach their children or feel more comfortable having those conversations that we think should really start early on with at an age appropriate level um, so that kids aren't afraid. And um, talking about their sexuality is not removed from their educational life in the way that we, you know, would not talk to our kids about science or how their noses work. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but, but there's something that happens in that group when women are together and we've sort of taken off all the barriers and are able to have that conversation that is very transformative. And what we find is that, um, it's often an entry into a school that, um, just connecting with those moms, they're so excited and want their children to learn at, to learn as well and hear as well. And so then they become advocates and go to their, um, school, their principals or their school district and, um, talk about having Planned Parenthood, uh, come in and speak about comprehensive sex education. I remember specifically that the day that I got my tour of the health center and I asked a million questions and then I met with a health educator and she was telling me a little bit about, I think the session that she had that very same day working with Spanish speaking moms and that they were reviewing the female anatomy and she heard a, a, a mom in the room go, oh, and she said, what is that? What is that that just happened? You Something just connected for you. And she said, now I understand how I got pregnant and how my daughter got pregnant. And I, I was misinformed. I passed that knowledge on to my daughter thinking I was giving her a gift, do, doing her a service. And I gave her the wrong information and she got mm. pregnant and I was so angry at her. Mm. And you know, this was a, a 30 something year old mother of a teenager and it was finally just clicking. And I thought, well, what a gift that at least it finally clicked. I mean, it, that, that yeah. it's never too late to receive that education about our health and our bodies and how empowering and transformative that education can be. So it's, it's wonderful to know that Planned Parenthood, among the many services it provides, that education is, is making a big difference and uh, changing people's lives. I think my experience uh, in learning about Planned Parenthood was similar years uh, years ago before I worked for Jericho Road. I was a contractor for a state family planning grant, and my job, especially because I speak both English and Spanish, mm -hmm. my job was to go into family planning clinics and do exit interviews. And it was fascinating to see. I interviewed every color under the rainbow, every age, uh every sexual orientation, and I think probably every single person I interviewed loved the service that they'd gotten at Planned Parenthood. And it ranged from like upper class, you know, affluent women who got annual well women exams there and had a great service to teens who had no idea about how they'd gotten pregnant or what to do about their sexuality and had gotten education. So I have been a huge plan uh, um, parenthood supporter since then wrong. because it was, uh, and I was in exactly the right position, right? Cause mm -hmm. I was actually interviewing people who had just come, come out of their sessions. Um, 
And to see people who had really gotten every kind of service again, you know, kind of goofy teenage boys who are like really awkward about talking to you. Like, I can't get a condom, you know. And, said, and yeah. now I'm leaving with not only the condom, but information yeah. that I really need. So I can, I can say from a, an evaluator's perspective, you guys do amazing work for a, such a wide range of our population and such diverse Thank services, you. as That's you fantastic. said, which I didn't know about yeah. before that either. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we do have um, guys who come in and get their bag of condoms, you know, every week. And I think what's important um, about Planned Parenthood is that uh, regardless of income, you can get your services. Um, it's a sliding scale uh, that we provide for for anything from your birth control pills to your exam, to your, to your tests, to your labs. Um, and the majority of our patients don't pay anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, income should never be a barrier, uh, as I said, about, you know, lots of different ways that people experience barriers. That's certainly not one that we would want people to stay away. That's right. So Planned Parenthood has been in our community for 85 years. Melanie, can you tell us about... Jericho Road and how long it's been serving. Yeah, so we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're still pretty new. Uh, As of this taping, we're about seven years old. And I think that we came out of a couple of real changes that we've seen. Um, When I started working in the nonprofit sector about 20 years ago, the idea, you know, I was a good social worker. And uh, so the first time I got a promotion, and all of a sudden I was not dealing with domestic violence victims and junkies, but I was being asked to write budgets for grants. I was like, can I go back to the junkies? Because that doesn't scare me. I know how to manage that. The budget grants, for grants, I have no idea what to do about that. And so I think we've seen a real change in the nonprofit sector. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective, Sherry, on kind of the changes in the nonprofit sector that 20 years ago, there was no sense of us being a business. We were Mm. good people doing good work. And now we're good people doing good work. work, right? Exactly. Right. 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 Um, And now I think we're good people doing good work with really good business practices. We just happen to run mission-based businesses, not money-based businesses. Um, So organizations like ours, and there are some other great organizations like Taproot Foundation and Center for Nonprofit Management that have sort of emerged in the past kind of 15 to 20 years to respond to this idea that nonprofits are businesses, but we're not getting an MBA might not be quite relevant. How do we take some good business best practices and apply them to nonprofits? So Sherry, I'm curious to see what, what you think as somebody who works for an incredibly well-run organization. (laughs) Well, so I've been with Planned Parenthood a long time. And when I first started many, many years ago, um, you know, we were sort of a counseling, I mean, it was felt like we were a counseling organization. And, um, at some point in the year we ran out of money And then we got on the phone and called some special people and said, hey, can you help to close out our year? So that's what it was like a long time ago. And I think that's what it was like for many nonprofits. And today, um, we have to run like a business. Obviously, we're a social welfare organization. That's who we are, who we'll always be. But to be able to stay around and be sustainable, um, We have to understand how our operations work, how our revenue works, how our expenses work, and be able to end each year with um, a net income 
or close to that. Um, and that includes how we do our own private philanthropy and fundraising. So it takes both. And um, we're, we're no longer an organization that people give to out of the goodness of their heart. And that's who we rely solely on. Um, and I think donors expect more now from nonprofits. Um, we do a lot of work, and I think many nonprofits do, that the government would do um, if it were doing sort of the full array of um, providing, um, you know, social programs to our citizens. Um, so the fact that we do that, we are a nonprofit, but we have to be able to do it in such a way that we can um, guarantee that we're going to be around for another 85 years. So to speak to that, though, because, I mean, it's, it's fascinating how an organization like Planned Parenthood that has received so many blows yeah. in the last two years, year, really also in the last eight, nine months, right? Under the new presidential administration. So how do you do it? How do you keep afloat? How do you get to that 85th year and look ahead to your 90th and your 100th? Because I know that's what Planned Parenthood is doing in spite of being constantly under attack. Well, I mean, luckily, when we are under these significant attacks, um, we have people who care so much about ensuring that uh, we all have uh, rights. We all have our rights protected, and that's our access to bodily autonomy, that we get to make decisions about our own bodies and whether or when uh, we want to have children. Um, so I, I think that that's, that that's something that we're, um, you know, very, very conscious of. And so when we're thinking in terms of how we're going to get to the next year or the next year, it sort of depends on where we are in that cycle. Um, we are fortunate that people give to us when we are really under siege. Um, and that's, that helps to sustain us. But we have to be savvy about how to run our business, run our, or, our operations such that they're a business. And that means we're always being super creative. Mm. Um, about how to do that and how to reach out for grants for the kind of programs that we're doing that are just the the essence and core of who we are. Um, you know, we just lived to fight another day. Sometimes that's all that we do. Um, and then what we hope is that that gives us the opportunity on, um, on, on a bigger stage to be able for people to understand who Planned Parenthood really is and not just the sound bites that one hears on um, the radio or on television. So what would you, if you could, give us a call to action? What can we do to support your mission, your organization, and women's reproductive justice issues? Um, well, that's that's a, like a really big <laughs> question. We're like two minutes or less. <laughs> um, I think it's really important for people to um, be aware 
And we are all over social media. Um, certainly the PlannedParenthood.org website has a lot of information. And people can track um, where we need them the most in terms of pushing to ensure that these rights are protected, whether it's calling their senators or calling in California their, their assembly members. So that's a really important part of um just constantly staying staying vigilant with us. Uh, these these rights are just it's such a slippery slope, and and they're not just rights. They're, it's a political football. These mm. rights are political football. Donating to Planned Parenthood is key as well. But just to say that um, in this what seems to be a fight, uh, knowing that people are standing shoulder to shoulder mm. with us just means the world to us. Absolutely. And Melanie, can you give us a sense of what we can do? to support Jericho Road and all that you're doing to serve and benefit nonprofit organizations in Pasadena and beyond. Yeah. So the big, I think the big thing is volunteer, figure out what your passion is, whether it's women health, health and rights, immigration issues, you know, if you love bonsai plants, right, get involved. There's so many great nonprofits <laughs> to get involved in. And some of them are really hard hitting and some of them are just really great and feel good, but get involved. Um, anybody in the Pasadena area is more than welcome to call me if you don't know where to start with volunteering. And there are great resources online like volunteermatch.org. And then if you are already involved, think about being on a board. Nonprofits need board members so badly. Um, and again, we're really here to train people to be on boards and match them. So feel free to visit us. Our website is jrpasadena.org. Um, and we want to be a conduit and a connector. So anybody wants to get involved, we'll help you figure out the best way to do that. Fantastic. Well, thank you, ladies. I'm so glad to be able to have this opportunity to chat with you and highlight your organizations. We get to work together often. Melanie and I are on the Pasadena Latino Coalition. So we've been doing great work together over the years. And Sherry with Planned Parenthood, we've done tremendous work over the years. And I'm excited too that we get to extend that work now with our newly established 501c4 Planned Parenthood Advocates. So we get to do that political advocacy work. There's just great nonprofit organizations in Pasadena, and I'm honored that you are leadership for two of them and that I get to work with you. So thanks so much for coming on the show. I want to thank you again, Sherry and Melanie, for joining us. You have been listening to the National Hispanic Media Coalition's public affairs show, Pasadena and Beyond, the station that gives the mic back to the people, your mic, your voice, your community. You can listen to Pasadena and Beyond anytime from anywhere by visiting www.nhmc.org. You can also find our podcast on SoundCloud. I thank you for listening in. Until next time. 